You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. And, uh, yeah, there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation for sure. We no longer have to wonder about the status of defensive back John Huggins and his status for the upcoming season. After weeks of speculation and revelations regarding Huggins, he is dismissed from the Gators football program. I'll get into that and more on this episode of Gators Breakdown. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Thank you guys for checking out another episode here. And with all the events lately, of a transfer and a dismissal. We are here to bring you guys all the coverage and analysis. And joining me for the first time on Gators Breakdown is Zach Goodall, the publisher for the recently launched Gator Maven site, powered by Sports Illustrated. Zach, welcome, and thanks for coming on during this eventful uh, last couple of days for the Gators. Really appreciate you having me. Uh, it's my first time doing a podcast here on the Gator Beat. Uh, I'm excited to get things rolling with a pretty good show to start with, I'd say. Ah, yeah, thank you much. Thank you much. And uh <laughs> Glad, uh, glad you're on the Gator beat. You know, you've done some great work with the Jaguars and, and recently for Gators as well. But, uh, you know, now, uh, as I said, there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation, my friend. You will have plenty, plenty to cover. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I was so I originally started over at Gators Territory for a little bit uh, back in April. And I told them over there in my first month, we had those three or four incidences with Brian Edwards and Chris Steele, Jalen Jones. And like, that's as much as I had seen in three or four years of covering the Jaguars of off field uh, stuff. So it was an adjustment. I'm starting to get used to it. Never a dull moment. Uh, just hopefully a lot of the moments going forward are really exciting with the season ready to start. Absolutely. And that, that'll be part of it as we get on forward is hopefully we can move on from this, talk some football, Two weeks away from game day with it with the hurricanes. So hopefully, hopefully we can start talking about what we see on the field uh, in, in just uh, a short in just a short couple of weeks here. Uh, so uh, Zach, tell the listeners, uh, uh, tell the Gators breakdown listeners about Gator Maven and what you guys have going on there. So it's recently launched. Uh, Maven is a company uh, that has been transitioning with Sports Illustrated after their publishing rights were bought about a year ago. And for the first time, Sports Illustrated is going to have team specific sites. And I will be running the Florida Gators one, mainly covering football. We're going to have stuff on basketball, baseball, other relevant sports as well. But everyone knows that this program is all about football. Everything about it just makes it such a great program is its football team. Uh, so we're going to be doing a lot of focus there. You can check it out at maven.io slash florida dash gators i promise uh, the website's name is going to be a little bit better soon as they finish the transition it will be going to GatorMaven.io sooner than later uh but over there i'm hiring uh number two in graham marsh uh he works with the alligator he's going to be helping me out a lot we're going to be credentialed uh 
doing all the events, all that kind of stuff, trying to bring a mix of all the news that you need to know, as well as in-depth researched uh, profiles, opinions, stuff like that. Right now, I'm actually working on a full film profile on Brenton Cox Jr., who just transferred to Florida from Georgia. Look for that probably tomorrow on the site. It'll have a lot of videos, a lot of clips, stuff like that. And that's the type of stuff that I really want to bring to Gator Maven is a mix of, you know, all the news you need to know, as well as just as objective opinions that you could find. Awesome. So uh, welcome. Welcome to the Gator <laughs> Beat, of course. And uh, as I said, plenty to cover. And uh, you guys will not be bored. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Before we get into this episode of Gators Breakdown, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News 4 Jacks sports team. Catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. As I mentioned, two weeks till game time, but only a week to the kickoff party here in Jacksonville at the Red Gill Bistro. Gators Breakdown listener James Carlin giving us a great hookup on a great location. August 17th, the week before Florida-Miami kickoff the season, free admission. Uh, RSVP's out there on Twitter. You don't have to have an RSVP. You can just show up. Uh, it just kind of helps, helps me get a head count if you can RSVP. Uh, like I said, it's out there on Twitter. The invitation is, but if you if you're not on Twitter for any reason, uh, reach out to me at GatorsBreakdown at gmail.com and let me know if you want to go. And also get your Gators Breakdown gear at squadlocker.com. Head over, click on the top right of the screen, click on find your store and type Gators Breakdown. All the hats, shirts, polos, and more are there at Squad Locker. So let's get into the episode here. And John Huggins no longer with the team uh, this, as the saga is coming to a close. Much of this dates back around to mid-July, if we want to kind of start when we were hearing a whole lot about John Huggins kind of behind the scenes here. Uh, and at SEC Media Day, that's when it was kind of going around there, uh, when the rumors were running rampant of a, an alleged off-field incident. Mullen was asked about Huggins uh, at SEC Media Days in the rumor there. He responded that Huggins was still part of the program. Uh, and then fast forward to uh, the start of practice a couple weeks ago. Huggins nowhere to be found at the first couple of practices, and UF officials told us that Huggins was dealing with a family issue. So, of course, there was going to be more digging around after that, and then this past week it comes to light that last October there was the choking incident with the tutor. Um, He missed games last season following that incident, and Mullen said that the current situation has nothing to do with that incident. And I'm inclined to believe that – and also, you know, kind of believe that Huggins' subsequent dismissal didn't come from the media pressure of that incident uh, that was recently brought up uh, and more information coming to light. Uh, now, if you guys follow me on Twitter, you know I've been outspoken on the way uh, the event has been covered out there and the painting of Mullen running a, a rogue program or, or a culture problem. Uh, I'm not you know, I'm not going to stand for, for, for that on, on my stance or my side of it. So, um, you know, now. Huggins was the fifth member of the uh, the Florida football program uh, where sexual or domestic violence was an issue. Justin Watkins, Jalen Jones, Brian Edwards, off-field assistant Otis Yelverton, and now Huggins all involved in those issues with only one being charged and uh, all no longer with the program once Mullen gathered all the information to make the right decision. So Zach Huggins hasn't been at a single practice this fall. Florida has been preparing without him. Mullen will meet with the media tomorrow, Monday, uh, and after that, hopefully we can move on and concentrate more on football. 
But right now, it has to be discussed uh, with a game two weeks away, but hopefully we can move on after that. Yeah, I hate to say that, I mean, this isn't necessarily a slap in the face in terms of everyone kind of saw something coming. That's quite a long time to be away from the team at a crucial part of getting ready for the season for a family issue. So people saw something coming. Writing was kind of on the wall that there was going to be some sort of event to come out of this. And what it ended up being is his dismissal. Uh, Obviously, I don't know any further details. I'm sure I'll know when everyone else does if we ever end up getting them. But one thing that we've really learned from this, I think, is that we see how Dan Mullen's going to consistently approach this. I understand that there's definitely room that he needs to be pressed on issues like this, ask these types of questions from a media perspective, but it doesn't need to turn into pressure to remove the player in and of itself. We've learned instead that he is really going to take his time to obtain all the information, due process the whole nine yards of how the legal system almost works. Um, He's going to collect as much information as possible and make the best decisions. So we live in a society at this point where it's kind of an instant gratification thing. Uh, The lady that spoke out the other day about Dan Mullen and really started to twist it back on him. I I believe in some of the stuff she believes in, but Mm -hmm. I think that it got twisted so quickly to make him look evil in a sense and that he was looking to bring in these guys and not care about the off-field stuff. He does, but he's he's giving them due process as they deserve it. And at the end of the day, he figured that out exactly with John Huggins. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I think uh, Palm Beach Post, I think, was what that article you're referring mm-hmm. to. And they, and they had a, a right a activist on there uh, mm-hmm. speaking to that, to, 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 to all the events basically uh, around Mullen and, and the recent uh, violence issues. So there is a football part to this. And, uh, you know, and, and a hit on Florida's defensive back depth. Uh, CJ McWilliams goes down with a torn Achilles. And, and now John Huggins is part, not part of the team. Those two players were in line to be depth pieces at the nickel star role behind Trey Dean. So now the question becomes, what does Florida do there for depth uh, in Florida's recent history? True freshman defensive backs come in and make an impact. Uh, it's nothing new at, at Florida. Uh, Trey Dean last season, both Marco Wilson, CJ Henderson the season before that in, in the kind of recent history uh, here. So fast forward to now. And look, we got to look at these freshmen now. Kyer Elam, Chester Kimbrough, Jadon Hill, who's on campus and, and taking part in camp. Uh, you know, and he'll back basically very limited going back to the spring. And these guys may be forced to play more than we originally thought. And that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. Now they're going to have growing pains. It happens with true freshmen, but you know, defensive backs come to Florida expecting to play early and that's nothing new at Florida. Yeah. I say that the Huggins issue from an off field perspective isn't a slap in the face because we saw it coming in a sense, but it was absolutely a slap in the face in terms of what's Florida going to do at star. Now, if Trey Dean goes down or if someone else goes down and Trey Dean needs to move to safety mm-hmm. or back outside or whatever he does, which is obviously a great chess piece to have in Trey Dean, someone that versatile. Uh, but like you said, Jaden Hill, Chester Kimbrough, maybe Kyer Elam will be guys that will be expected con- uh, to contribute, make an excellent point of these young guys consistently stepping in at Florida to the point where it's become an expectation. So, it does need to stay grounded in a sense that we understand there will be growing pains, but they've done such a good job developing guys to be ready and come out and make an impact when they're this young. And I've heard buzz that Kimbrough and Hill have done mm-hmm. some work at star. They've done a really good job. I've heard specifics on Kimbrough being a guy that stood out in a lot of the practices and stuff that they've done when it closes down to the media. So 
you know, that'll give them a little bit of hype. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves and expect them to come in and be what Trey Dean was on the boundary last year or when Marco and CJ have come in so early in their careers, like Marco having a record amount of passes defended in his freshman year. I'm not going to ever set that as an expectation for these young guys, but it's really reassuring to know that there is a history of these guys coming in, developing well. You got a defensive backs coach in Torian Gray, who's got NFL experience and these guys are very fond of, He's got, you know, he's shown that he can develop these guys when they're young. He's done it at an NFL level. So there should be confidence in these freshmen just with expectations to understand. It might take a little time, but they can come in and they can do it. Yeah, and I still look at it too. There's, they're still at a point right now that these guys don't have to be rushed in. Now, of course, injuries, they have to kind of stay where they're at. No more injuries, no more suspensions, no more you know, off-field incidents where these guys can't be on the field. But as it stands right now, they're still not forced out. They're still not forced out there. I think Florida can work them in, work them into some comfortable situations where you know they're not swimming, they're not over their heads, they're not having to rely on these guys so much. And, and another option here – is in certain is in certain situations and look, Samari Bernie can slide over and play in that role and, and allow Dean to either take a breather or slide back to play some safety, like you mentioned. Uh, Will Miles and I on this podcast have talked extensively about the versatile pieces on this Florida defense, and Bernie might be the best player that exemplifies that. Go back in, in, to his first season last year, he played in the star role, and then toward the end of the year, he's playing in the linebacker role. He can play safety too if need be. Given what I've heard about linebackers Ventrell Miller and James Houston and how they're practicing, you know, this coaching staff, I think, can really feel comfortable if they have to move Bernie around. Uh, I'm not sure Bernie, looking at it now, will, will have much of a defined role this season or this fall, you know, given the circumstances. And, you know, will also allow the freshmen to grow within the defense and still not be forced out there before they're ready because you can move – you can move Bernie around to where you can keep some of those freshmen on, on the bench if need be. Uh, and as I put them in favorable situations. So as I said, this all assumes that Florida stays relatively healthy from here on out, but you know, maybe I'm looking at this through orange and blue glasses, but I'm still not all that worried yet about the, about the secondary in particular, the nickel star role as it stands right now, Florida, you know, has one of the best tandems outside with, with Wilson and Henderson, uh, the defensive front's going to be nasty, especially in passing situations. And I know many out there will make it sound like a big deal and Florida's in trouble, and in a way it is, but it's not at that point. It's not a big deal to be worried about at this moment. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that you know Florida fans and analysts alike are going to really understand how important it is to have a guy like Amari Bernie or Trey Dean, who they're just both such versatile athletes and they're guys that have multiple understandings throughout the defense. I think there will be packages where, I mean, it'll probably start again in the more cupcake games like UT Martin. You can see situations where Maybe they'll have Trey Dean playing majority star against Miami. And then we might see packages going into UT Martin where we do see Dean move outside or back to safety with the question marks that still surround safety in general as things stand. And whether it's Bernie then sliding over or if they want to continue to give him all the game reps at money that they can, those will be the situations where you start to see maybe a bit of a rotation with Hill and Kimbrough and anyone that they feel comfortable with that's young, but earned those reps to go in and learn star because by the end of the year, it could be that those guys have to step up even without injuries. Just, you know, you said it in trade Dean needing a breather for a second, or if there's something going on at safety to where they will be depended on. But I think the staff's really smart. I think they understand how to utilize their personnel. You see the same thing on offense with how things are spread out between so many different guys. 
I do think we're going to see that applied to the defense and it's going to become noticeable with roles that are being filled with some guys that are a bit unknown at this point or new to the program, whether it's along the line and Jonathan Grenard uh, going in and playing the buck position uh, to, you know, when it's moving trade team to star at full time and going to the safety position with different guys, we don't know who's going to be starting there. You're really going to start to see how smart this coaching staff is with utilizing the personnel and the athletes they have. And that should dwindle down to the freshmen. Yeah. I mean, I go back and look at what we saw with this defense last year and the versatile pieces. I mentioned Bernie in season kind of transforming his role from where he started to where he ended. Uh, you mentioned Trey Dean as well from, from where he was at last year to where we see him now playing more inside in that nickel star role, the versatile pieces there. Hey, there were times last year, CC Jefferson, uh, his main position was defensive end, but in the bowl game, I seen him line back, back there at linebacker. So, you know, they, they look for these versatile pieces on defense. And, and and we've seen it with the size of the guys that they bring in who can play either a strong side defensive end or stand up and play that buck role. And, you know, we'll get into uh, we'll get into Brenton Cox and maybe his role in that, too, with his size, his, his size and ability. But and Grenard, I think we'll see him at points this time. I think we'll see his hand in the dirt. I think we'll see him standing up on the edge. And I, I just I think Todd Grantham and what he does, what he looks for and just the amount of pressure I think they will be counting on this defensive line to bring while the secondary you know, in regular circumstances in a defense that's not as aggressive, maybe more of a worry. I think really what you're looking up at front at the linebacker position on the defensive line with defensive tackles, defensive ends, buck and the pass rusher they will create, it will eventually help those guys in the secondary. So as a guy who used to cover the Jacksonville Jaguars and a Jaguars fan, the biggest issue that I've seen with their current, you know, coaching staff is better utilization of the athletes they have and applying what these guys are really good at into their defense. It always seemed more stubborn. They were trying to fit some square pegs into round holes. And when there was rumors of Todd Grantham possibly bumping up to the NFL, he was a guy that was on my list of you get rid of Todd Walsh in Jacksonville and you bring in a guy like Grantham because it's so important to have someone who understands the strengths of their players, understands how to change things around, whether it's being more aggressive or plugging guys in at different roles, understanding the strengths of a certain athlete compared to the weaknesses of another and vice versa, and plugging them into positions where all 11 guys on the field have a chance of being successful. That's really important. And, you know, whether it's injuries or not that come in throughout 2019, we've already seen some of the stuff with the off field with other guys getting injured, but whether that happens or not, I really think this will be the year that everyone realizes just how important a, the chess pieces are and B how important Todd Grantham is. People should want to get him on a contract like that'll last a lifetime at this point. <laughs> I was, I was happy to see him come back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm a Grantham fan and the havoc that he brings and, you know, havoc you, actually, you know, that's kind of a new, a new look uh, analytic that is coming into to, to play here uh, along the NFL, along college football. And we know with Todd Grantham's but happy scheme that the, a lot of havoc is created. Jacopolite was probably the best example of that last year mm -hmm. and living in the backfield, creating turnovers. And I really just think that bleeds over into helping the secondary, you know, that the front seven can help the secondary. If those young guys are out there, uh, I'm not saying it wouldn't be a problem, but the front seven can help a little bit as well. And as, as, as it stands right now in the 11, I think they have, it's still pretty good. Uh, but if it does become a problem with the young guys coming in, 
I think the the I won't necessarily say pressure, but the, the front seven will be needed more to, to help these young guys along. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, and, you know, having a really impactful front seven will also truly help your back four or back five, yeah. depending on what personnel look you're getting. Uh, you hear the words, you know, coverage sacks. Well, there's also pressure turnovers. Yeah. It, it equals out to where you have guys. And I know the role that Polite served last year was incredibly important, but You've got guys coming in. I think Grenard's going to be a really good player from the tape that I've watched of him at Louisville, his comfort within this scheme because of the familiarity with it. Uh, when I talked to him at media day, a lot of the stuff he told me he was working on to get a lot more nimble. I think he's going to come in and while he might not put up nearly 20 tackles for loss, he's going to be really important. And I think he's going to be really productive. And you get guys like that. You get Zuniga, you get the guys on the interior, Schuler, Campbell, maybe Zachary Carter coming in. Cause he's looked really fluid when I was down there for a couple of days in camp, you build this rotation, mix in some young guys, have a lot of unique blitz uh, packages, a lot of stunts, the way that Todd Grantham gets creative with these things and while people are concerned about the safety position at this point, or if they start hitting their depth, as long as this defensive line group gets healthy, that's an immediate advantage for the secondary unit with the idea of pressure turnovers. Absolutely. there. So before we move on, we'll get into Brenton Cox, the transfer and what Zach has uh, noticed on film for him and his uh, recent or his latest article uh, coming up this week. Uh, on Gator Maven, but before we get there, guys, you've got to go try UFM underwear. It's hot out there, and you need a pair of UFM underwear. Underwear for men is the only brand of men's underwear that offers both isolation and support. Unlike other pouch underwear, brands that have thin mesh panels or pre-sized pouches, underwear for men's patented pending design prevents skin-on-skin contact and eliminates chafing. UFM underwear is designed to move with your body so you can easily go from one activity to the next without ever having to think about your underwear. This state of Florida company has you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, medical underwear, underwear for men's made for it all. Try your pair now. Head over to UFMunderwear.com. Use promo code BREAKDOWN and get $5 off your pair of UFM underwear. UFM underwear, support your manhood. Zach, as we've mentioned, you've watched Gator Maven with some great content, and you're working on some for the latest incoming transfer from Georgia, Brenton Cox, as we learned on Friday. He is now a Florida Gator from SEC East rival Georgia to Gainesville. He is now a Gator. Uh, I released an episode on it a couple of days ago, guys, so if you want to check it out, uh, go, go listen to it. But uh, Cox coming to Florida, so go check it out if you haven't yet. And, and Zach, you're working on some film analysis uh, of this player. And, and Zach, what have you found – uh, you know, in, in him, who was he? He was really on the field a, a good bit for Georgia late in the season last season against Alabama and, and uh, Texas as well in the bowl game. Uh, is uh, is there anything that really stands out in in, in since him uh, announcing the last couple of days that he's now going to become a Gator? Of course, we've kind of all went back and looked at a little his his stats and his performance uh, as a Bulldog, but as you know, as I said, he really came on at the end of last year. Yeah, he was, you know, for the role that he served, he was productive, especially for a guy as young as him. Uh, 247's got him down with 277 snaps in 13 games, 20 tackles as a situational guy, a sack and two tackles for loss, uh, batted down three passes as well. So he's a guy that's going to make his presence known just for, you know, causing disruption. It's going to take some development. I'm, I'm currently through 
two full games of his tape, watching him against Texas in the bowl game, as well as Kentucky. Uh, I'm getting into the Alabama game. Now he started to really come into the game later on as a, you know, a substitute and filling in with Deandre Walker. And I think that when he was subbing in for Walker as a rotational pass rusher is when we saw the most coming out of him in the Texas game where he started, there were some concerns that I had with his leverage and him getting his pad level really high, which allowed guys that are really good technicians on the offensive line to get into his chest, uh, which is something, you know, he's so young. He was really thrown in, especially in a bowl game starting there. Like you, I don't have the highest of expectations. These are things that he can really learn. Um, but there's just going to be some things that he's got to, you know, start to develop. His burst is all right. He's learning timing. He's getting that kind of stuff down. Uh, he's going to learn pad level and getting vertical too quickly, which can kind of wash him out. But when you look at him, you see an athlete. You see a guy who's 6'4", 247 pounds. His fingertips reach down closer to his knees than to his thighs at that point. He's a really lengthy player. These are guys that you want to develop as a defensive coordinator and watching him. I was watching the first game was Georgia versus Kentucky. So it'd go back and forth, obviously between who had the ball and I'd watch him line up on defense. One play it'd switch over to Georgia being on offense and the Kentucky Wildcats had a pretty good defender on the edge there as a three, four hybrid type of guy in Josh Allen. You just look at their body types and the way they get off the line of scrimmage. And I see really like similar players. I know that's a comparison that like, you know, people will go crazy over because this guy was projected as a top five pick slid to the number seven. But regardless, when was the last time Kentucky had any player that good come out of their school? Uh, And he was a special pass rusher. I mean, he really developed late. He came onto the program at like six, four, 220 pounds as a two star and just developed into this guy, like you said, wreaked havoc in the backfield. He also got better as a run supporter. He came down and made plays like that. He was able to drop back into coverage. I think these are all things that uh, that Florida is going to be able to teach him over time. But right now, the priority, whether it's he plays this year and is in a rotation with Grenard, if he's able to get that waiver down, because we just we're unsure of what that'll be, or whether he red shirts and just takes a year to really, really develop as a pass rusher, The first time we see him in a major role in Florida's defense, I think the perfect position for him will be that buck position, specifically as a standing rusher, kind of out wide, not as much with his hand in the dirt, right above the tackle, but you get him out into space a little bit and you'll see him just begin to utilize his length, utilize his athletic ability. And I think the traits are really there for him to become a special pass rusher. He's violent. He has relentless motor. He plays through the whistle on every single down, uh, really strong arms, which is going to develop into some nice pass rush moves, whether he's, you know, creating an arm bar to push out against a tackle and just, you know, they can't get any leverage to his chest, whether it's chopping his hands through a tackle's arms as he gets his technique down. There's a lot to like and defensive coordinators, especially at the college level and seeing a young guy like him with some production on his resume, they're licking their chops to develop a guy like that. And I'm sure Todd Grantham is definitely in that crowd. Todd Grantham uh, was on the phone pretty quick when, yeah. when, when he was available. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. 
Um, a couple things there. Uh, uh, Georgia is probably the team I follow the most outside of Florida. I, I grew up in Georgia. All my best friends are Georgia fans. You know, it's something to talk with them about. And, uh, you know, following what he did last year and, and talking to them is the, the one thing uh, they, they mentioned was he's got to maybe – and this comes to me from just being being a young player, being a freshman, wanting to go get the quarterback. He's got to work on his containing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you see that. Young players a lot. That's one thing they really have to learn is, hey, not every play needs to be the big play. Not every play needs to be go get the quarterback. You, at points, you have a role, and that's to set the edge, hold contain, and, and let a defensive tackle make the play. You don't have to make the play every time. So you know, that's one thing that will come with experience, one thing that will come that I'm sure the coaching staff will work Work with him on and Zach, uh, this has been a popular topic on twitter uh and social media message boards as well is if the you know uh, his eligibility and if he's able to play this year i'm in the mind florida doesn't really need him this year i'd like to get two years of play out of him but how long does it take to pick up the system how long does he get acclimated to florida how long would the ncaa even take in making the decision if florida and, and and him decide to apply for a waiver to play this year you know is it is it worth it to if he only plays say four games or whatever maybe you can redshirt him at that point because of you know the new four game redshirt rule but if he plays in more than that you say it's five or six games yeah, I think his impact would have to be major for it to be worth him playing this year and not an entire season. And I'd also like to have, you know, just in case the worst happens, if he has to sit out this year, you know, at, at least you'd still have most at that point, that would be what the 2020 season. So he played next year. He'd be eligible for the draft. He'd be three years removed from high school. He'd be eligible for the draft. So you'd only really have one year. But I think I'd like to have a year to play with just in case he gets injured in that year and he he feels comfortable about coming back the the following year. So uh, I'm in the mind that I don't think you necessarily need him this year. You let him learn, let him learn as much as he can uh, with Zuniga and Grenard and, and Carter and how he's coming along. And what Florida has on there at that defensive end rush in position, that buck position, I don't necessarily think he's needed for this year. He'd be more of an added bonus. I think there are perks that would go either way. Uh, If you were to play him this year, you'd have to have a specific role. Uh, You said he needs to work on his contain. I agree. I definitely saw that. And there were times where his balance issues came up against the run, whereas it wasn't as much evident when he was rushing the passer. And that's just what he seemed to be better at at that point. Uh, Just, in terms of you know creating havoc. If you play him this year, I think that you put him in that role specifically as a third down guy. They've talked about maybe being able to put Greenard inside in special mm-hmm. packages and kind of what I like to call a lightning package of just speed pass rushers playing all across that line. And maybe that's where you put him if you play him this year, if you get that waiver, if you determine that it's worth it to have him on the field because that's what he's good at. You still keep developing him. You teach him better leverage and stuff. You limit his role, but in return, he also would serve a purpose as a, you know, as primarily as a pass rusher, just helping that buck group get even better over time. But if you'd rather just keep developing him to be a full, like a really well-rounded player, then yeah, it's not worth, you know, burning this year. You, you get him just, you get him red shirted or you do what you need to do, especially because it's so late at this point to try and get him acclimated. Uh, They could go either way. I think if you want a better, well-rounded player, the second he steps onto the field, then sitting out this year is totally fine. But if you see a way that he can contribute, as a rotational, you know, pass rushing specialist, I do think the traits are there that he can make an impact this year. It'll just all be, 
you know, it's to be determined whether that's worth it or not. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here uh, for, for that in particular. Um, now I could say this and he could get eligible and he could, his first start could be the Georgia game and he could go in and get, oh. it, it could be, he could go in and get four sacks. And I would say, you know what? It's every, it was every bit of worth it. So, oh, absolutely. <laughs> so that, uh, wouldn't that be something? Oh, man. <laughs> I couldn't imagine it, it, it working out that way. Say they apply for a waiver and NCAA takes their time and just by some happen chance. Cause Hey, look, we know he's practicing right now. He is practicing with the Gators. He, he's getting reps. I don't know. The, I don't know whether that's in a, uh, you know, in a kind of reserve role, a kind of um, uh, role where he's just trying to help the, the offensive line go against a, a, a player who has some SEC experience and, and can bring it and, and, and in that kind of, fashion and setting but you know i, I couldn't imagine it, it, if the ncaa takes their time it times out just right okay he's eligible you get the bye week before georgia you get two weeks to build up he's okay mullen announces he's gonna play this is his first game he goes out and gets something like four sacks and i mean if, if it played out that way i'd say it, it was worth it every bit of the way to play him this year <laughs> i could not even imagine what twitter would be like that day <laughs> But it would be some sort of glorious. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you that. That would be that would be incredible. And I mean, whether it's in that situation or just in general, I do think that's exactly what you'd see is a pass rushing specialist. Yeah. With him, the end goal is absolutely to get a player like Josh Allen with his physique, with his what he does well is reminiscent. When I was going back and forth and you'd see the glimpses and then compare him on the very next play to Josh Allen. Like that's who I see over time. If he develops into that well-rounded player, if you want him to step onto the field for his first time as a well-rounded player, you set him out this year. Absolutely. Um, but there's, there could be a role. I, it's, <laughs> it's to be determined, but yeah. I do think that there's a possibility he could contribute this year. It just depends on what you want out of him, what they want out of him. So we'll just have to wait and see. All right, then here we go. About two weeks uh, until Florida Miami kickoff, and the team right now, Zach, they're tired of hitting each other. You know, this is uh, this is uh, this is the time now where camp's kind of getting monotonous. Uh, we're recording this on uh, on Sunday. The team will have its final camp scrimmage tonight. Mullen will meet with the media on Monday. Uh, the team will be in a hotel this week, secluded. Uh, so you know, not a lot is really getting out there. Uh, not really known since practices and scrimmages are closed. But with a little coming out and, and what and with what the coaches are saying, um, you know, there's um, there's some young and inexperienced players. I think uh, we're starting to hear about. We're starting to see highlight videos and uh, we can, it, as little as you can gleam about that. At least, you know, they're, they're out there right. uh, there. So, you know, the, I think the one that got excited and we talked about it a little bit, though, was uh, Jacob Copeland. And you could tell he was getting a handoff out of the backfield. And I got yeah. fans immediately excited because, you know, it, we, we get tired of hearing it as Gator fans as, a, as a, the Percy role. And that's not the, the, you know, the Percy Harvin role. And that's not necessarily a player will be Percy Harvin. It's just those types of plays, you know, motioning into the backfield, getting a handoff, lining up in a direct snap, maybe lining up as a running back in the backfield uh, from the snap. So you know that that's what it's kind of described as. It's not necessarily calling a player Percy Harvin. So, that was a reason for fans to get excited. And not only that, but he's out there with the wide receivers catching passes on the jugs machines, running routes as well. And for his injury history, given dating back to last year and in spring where he barely took part in spring as well, just seeing him on the field 
and then to getting the bonus of seeing him take part in these routes on, you know, in the routes in the joke machine and getting a handoff in the backfield, there's reason for optimism and reason for excitement considering uh, concerning Jacob Copeland. So I already made one really big comparison in this show. I don't know how many I can handle. And I do, I do these things really, you know, sparingly because I don't want people to get confused. I don't want them to suddenly expect Jacob Copeland to be Stefan Diggs in a sense. Mm-hmm. I was out at practice for two days, so I haven't been there as much as everyone else, but I watched the receiver group a lot. And if there was one thing that really stood out to me with Jacob Copeland, it's just how fluid he is as an athlete in discipline, learning the discipline of route running. But the traits are there for him that with further development under Coach Gonzalez, he's going to be one of the smoothest route runners that this team currently has on the roster. We see a guy who's as technically advanced as Van Jefferson, when he's gone, I think the go-to guy, even with you know young guys that come in and develop, Copeland's going to be the dude that you look at him and say, he runs routes as smooth as anyone on this roster. He was, personally, I think he was outperforming Kadarius Tony through the t- couple of days I had seen in terms of just understanding the nuances. They were running hip and hip drills and separating mm-hmm. uh, across the middle of the field. And he was so polished at doing things like that. They're going to have to find a way to get him on the field, despite it being such a crowded room, because there's absolutely a role for that in this offense early on as the, you know, the new offensive line unit, this is such a discussion as they get acclimated one thing that Felipe Franks is going to have to really trust is his guys getting open and his guys are getting open quickly as they get used. The offensive line gets used to every down SEC football. That's where a Van Jefferson is so important with the chemistry and the timing and fluidity of his routes. Jacob Copeland, I think, will serve a role early on where he's doing that in limited fashion, maybe in situations where, you know, they're a little backed up and they need just a guy to get open as quick as possible and as fluidly as possible. As much as we want to look at Kadarius Tony and say he's the gimmick guy, he's a guy that I truly believe you could run a three-wide set with him as the middle slot and throw him a bubble screen three plays in a row, and each time it'd be successful. <laughs> but you but you take Jacob Copeland, and I think he's a guy that will really open things up with how smooth of an athlete he is. That's kind of where I get the Stefan Diggs comparison, the Minnesota Vikings receiver, one of the better route runners in the NFL. Not that he is Stefan Diggs just yet. Maybe he never will be. But those are the types – that's kind of the glimpses that I see in his game. So he's going to be a someone, like everyone says, you got to get him on the field at some point. I'm ready for – and this is no inside information or anything. This is just me thinking out loud. I'm ready for the Kadarius Tony in that in 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 Wildcat and Jacob Copeland <laughs> moving in for motion. Oh my! <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I'm like, mine's blown there. So, uh, like, uh, I, I don't know if you see it early. I don't know if, when you see it. If you save it for you know a certain opponent or whatever, but uh, if it's me, I'm finding a way to make that happen. You know, Emory Jones may be that quarterback there as well. You know, instead of instead of Tony as a Wildcat quarterback, Emory Jones in there in in spell of relief for Felipe Franks. You know, in short yardage situations mm-hmm. to you know save hits on Felipe Franks. Maybe Emory Jones is that quarterback and Jay of Copa, Kadarius Tony motioning into the backfield and you see those option plays, inside option plays, the shovel pass types of plays that we were used to seeing so much under Dan Mullen and, and, and Tim Tebow and Aaron Hernandez and, and the running backs that there in that kind of play that everyone points to as a Mullen staple. You give you give me that with Emory Jones, Kadarius Tony, Jacob Copeland in some form or fashion. I think there's a lot there to work with. And I think you could also throw Malik Davis into that as well. Yep, and you yep. you just 
you you call this like the burst package. You talk about guys that are as explosive in short field situations. And like you said, in conversion situations, and you've got, you know, three or four of those guys contributing in this package. And I don't see a way that defenses will be able to predict what's going on because they do, they are so special in short field. And when I did, I did a comparison article the other day with some of Florida's receivers and one, I mean, like you said, it, it's a Percy Harvin role. It's not necessarily a Percy Harvin comparison. And there are little things you see in Kadarius Tony's game that might make you think of Percy Harvin. But the first thing I looked at when I went and looked at, you know, comparing their athleticism and looking at these webs to understand where guys are really special in terms of being athletes. I saw Kendall Wright, the former first round pick uh, for the Tennessee Titans at wide receiver in Kadarius Tony, because he might not be the fastest guy in a straight line, 50 yards down the field. There might be guys that catch up to him, but you talk about a dude that can just, you know, turn around, do a 360, and suddenly separate so cleanly from defenders with exceptional burst, change of direction ability. Those it's it's unique, and that's why Kadarius Tony needs to be on the field so teams don't predict when it's going to happen, when he's going to get the ball. Because when you get him the ball, he's able to make something happen out of nothing. And when you've got three or four guys that could do that, like him, like Copeland, like you said, maybe Malik Davis, Emery Jones, that's that's fun offense. And that's what Dan Mullen, I think, with in his second year as the head coach, is going to try and incorporate more of as this team has really started to gel beyond their first year is the exciting burst that they've got in this personnel. Absolutely. And we move forward to some other players, the other young players making waves and kind of going back to the uh, first scrimmage and some things that came out and also watching Trent Whittemore um run routes and the, the freshmen that were kind of you know Deontay Marks, Jamarcus Weston were kind of the the true freshman receivers a lot of people were kind of looking forward to to seeing it's actually been Whittemore who's been kind of the the true freshman receiver getting 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 more notoriety than the other two and uh there was a play and uh it kind of got some clarification it was out there that he mossed Kyrie Elam it wasn't that. It was just a good play uh, mm-hmm. against Kyrie Elam uh, at the point. But, you know, Whittemore, I don't know how much we can expect this year. But as I said earlier, you know, at this point, we're in fall camp right now where you, you want to see what young players are doing. And they, well, while they may not contribute much this year, it gives you a lot to look forward to. And he's one of those guys. I absolutely agree. Uh, I looked at some of his high school tape uh, when he first signed on. And he's a guy that I think you can develop into a really solid boundary possession guy kind of like the role that we saw from Trayvon Grimes in his first year in the offense. He really was special as a boundary guy, a possession guy that you trusted throwing the ball to that could be the role for Whitmore down the line. He might not have as high of a ceiling as Grimes. Obviously he's a special talent, but that's the type of role you try and fit him into. And it's great to hear these things coming out, especially, you know, like you said, not mossing or totally destroying, you know, arguably one of the best cornerbacks in the 2019 signing class, but still having his way on a play or two against that when he was one of the more unheralded prospects coming into this class is really great to hear. And that's a testament to Billy Gonzalez as well and the way he's developing guys. And another guy that I think deserves recognition, you know, beyond football in a sense is, and I'm sure you want to talk about him too, is Ethan white. Yeah. The, the story just of, how he signed the potential they saw in him yet this kid being almost 400 pounds maybe over 400 i i'm i'm still getting everything down so i'm not 100 sure what the highest mark was but 
you talk about a transition for this guy and there's been reports out there that he just looks like a freshman you get excited for coming in and never seeing him before in your life. So when you understand the challenges that he faced, you think of Juwan Taylor, right? I mean, he had to, he had to lose 50 pounds just to get an offer from Florida. And that type of work ethic is so important, not just for the team, but for the culture of a program to see guys, you know, being so dedicated and being so motivated by the staff that's here. That's a testament to the staff in general. That's a huge testament to Ethan white. And it's something that you can't help, but feel good and excited for in a guy like him. That's probably one of my favorite stories of this freshman group in general. Absolutely. We, uh, we had discussed that a couple of weeks ago and, you know, for as much credit as Nick Savage gets for guys coming in and, and getting in shape and, and gaining muscle and where, where they need to, or, or guys losing weight where they need to, it also takes a lot from these players and for a true freshman to come in and notice right away and, and take all the advice and take all the work that Nick Savage, you know, puts on him and, and, and you know, transforms his body in just a short amount of time. It absolutely speaks to, to you know, more of the players and, and the mindset that they have to, to, to go to go about it the right way and, and get in shape there. And for a true freshman, like I said, to come in and, and already make those strides, I think it really speaks to the uh, just, just the willpower uh, of a lot of what these players come into uh, and get done. And Mullen even said, you know, uh, after the first scrimmage that they had White in there with the first team. Uh, mm-hmm. along the offensive line you know that's not necessarily saying he's gonna start first team or or, or you know uh, or, or go get reps with the first team in real game situations but as we know as young as this offensive line is and one guy goes down there at, at that guard position they need to figure out some other combinations in for already to see white out there given what he come into uh, and his body size when he came in and to where it is now, I think you, know, we see, you keep getting more data points that he may be ready to, to for a bigger role and, and a bigger role early on. And that's not just saying that hard work pays off. In this case, it absolutely does. But, you know, going back through the end of the last cycle, through the drama that's come about this summer, uh, the comments that are made about Dan Mullen and staff's ability to recruit, Ethan White comes and plays as much as like one game this year and doesn't get embarrassed. And that's already, that's a huge win in recruiting right there. The whole story that'll come out of it is, you know, Florida will have changed Ethan White's life in a sense in the, not only is that such a feel good story, but that's a huge win on recruiting. And you look at the way that you develop a story like that and turn him into a guy that comes in and plays his freshman year and does a good job. And, with the offensive line unit and where it's at and the depth that they're going to try and find, they want to have eight guys that they're comfortable with. He was already working with the twos in camp while he was going through this bodily transition. And now he's gotten some reps with the ones like, this is what you want to hear in terms of a staff developing, whether it's just a pure talent or a guy that's pure potential with a low floor and a high ceiling. That's, that's kind of the group that I would lump Ethan white in. And so far, so great for a story like that for white's perspective, as well as the program's perspective. And yeah, I just love the mindset coming in for, for, um, uh, for, for Ethan white and, and a lot of players who really came in in shape and the guys who needed to get bigger, got bigger. Some of the guys who needed to, to lose some weight, lost some weight to, to make some more of an impact. Uh, we kind of talked about earlier, Elam and Kimbrough, uh, and, and Jadon Hill, young guys who probably will be counted on at some point this year, uh, making an impact early on, and may you know may have to be counted on even more given the uh, depth that secondary uh, in the secondary 
or a white right now. Uh, two other guys we kind of mentioned in passing too, James Houston, Ventrell Miller. I'm hearing a lot about those two guys and, and the speed they play with at the linebacker position. And if we're talking about Amari Bernie moving around, then you can feel pretty comfortable with Houston and Miller in there. Uh, Ventrell Miller, for, for one, is a guy who maybe in the Vashawn Joseph role is when he gets to you, you're going to feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a, that's what makes the possibility of Bernie playing back at star. So great is the depth that you do have at linebacker. It's an insurance policy almost to be, you know, too deep with guys at linebacker that you feel could start for a team. That's, that's where they want to be on the offensive line. (laughs) Obviously it's easier with two positions rather than five, but it's, it's such a great thing to have depth and it just adds to that importance of versatility among an entire defense in the personnel groups. And I'm sure they're going to be fine ways to, you know, get those guys onto the field as well without injury with the, you know, the work ethic, the improvement that we've seen from them. That's where we'll really start to see again, just the idea of Grantham, you know, being selective with his personnel, rotating guys in and out to keep the defense, you know, as fresh as they can keep offenses on their toes with the personnel matchups that they're going to have. It's just, it's such a great thing to have the versatility and the depth that they have at certain positions along that defense. And it'll make up for the lack of depth that they don't have at others. Absolutely. And a couple more here, Mambu Diabate, Chris Bogle in that uh, rush in type there hearing a lot about those guys too. And uh, with one, you know, we don't, I, you know, don't know who he's going against. Don't know the, the, the situation it is, but the you know, Florida releases that uh, kind of practice hype video yesterday. And you see Diabate coming around the corner, uh, beating an edge and, and getting into the backfield there. Uh, plus just more of what we've heard uh, those guys and, for what Florida has, and we discussed it earlier at, at the defensive end rush in position and and the, the guys that they have here this year, you don't have to have Diabate, Summerall, Bogle out there early on as freshmen. But the more you hear about these guys in camp and the more impact and more of an impact that you hear, as I said, it gets you excited for hey, look, we got four, we we at least got four games to see those guys this year. So you can save their red shirt and and still get more years out of them uh here. So four games, I think, you know. You got two cupcakes this year. You'll you'll see them uh, in those games. But if you're going to let them play four games, that means two other two other games. If you see them in there, the, if you see them out on the field, the coaching staff feels comfortable enough that they're going to be out there. You know, playing Miami this year uh, that gets rid of uh, one one of the easier opponents out there. So you know, there's ten games out there that are either against Miami, FSU, or SEC opponents. And if these freshmen play four games and still save there's redshirt. There's going to be two games out there or there, whether it be in, in blowout time or whether it be, you know, Florida has a lot of close games like they did last year. If those freshmen are out there, even if it's for four games, there's going to be two games where they're making an impact. And you, you can still, you might see it in this rush in uh, Zach, you spoke to it earlier with Cox and, and what he's bringing to the table. Maybe Diabate's proven enough to where, Hey, it's third and 13 and you know what the goal is, is to go get the quarterback, or third and eight, and the goal is to go get the quarterback, a true freshman doesn't have to think a whole lot about that. You've got one job, and if you've proven it enough in camp that you're living in the backfield against the quarterback, then by all means, go do it again. Absolutely, and I think that's really going to factor into the decision with Cox and what they're going to do with whether even it's worth it applying for the waiver or if they try and get him on the field this year. I mean, you look back to SEC media days and Mullen saying about Diabate, just the advantage that he has to possibly get on the field this year. And yeah, and he went this spring. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. So him plus Bogle, there's been rave reviews about him as well. So 
if you if they feel confident enough, a in Greener getting, you know, he said that he wants to get his cast off because he believes that he or his brace off because he's able to work at full strength with his wrist again, and they're confident that he can come in and play at the the role as well as they're expecting him to, which I think he will. If they have that high enough confidence in the two freshmen, then yeah, that just makes your decision easier with Cox and what to do with his eligibility. Absolutely. So yeah, there's a good, some, some young players there that we're hearing a lot about in camp and uh, looking forward, whether it be four games this year, whether it be more than four games this year, or guys we're just getting excited about and something they can build on uh, to, to go start next year or be uh, or have rel- relatively large roles next year. Uh, those are a few players that are making some young, young players that are making some noise uh, in camp. Zach, you've kind of let our listeners know what you what you have coming up uh, on Gator Maven. Anything else you're working on uh, that fans can kind of look forward to as we count down the days till Florida, Miami? Uh, I'm going to be diving back into some more film, trying to bring out some extra projects on guys that I could be excited for. Uh, Still planning those out right now. The Cox one's going to be a huge one. I'm really hoping that that piece will get pushed around enough to where it gets people to check out the site. Uh, I'm going to be bringing on my second writer is going to be starting tomorrow. I'm excited to get him on board and help him, you know, help really push us into the community. So if you guys are looking for that type of content, you can find it over at maven.io slash Florida dash Gators. Uh, it takes about five seconds and it's totally free to sign up for the site. You just hit the follow button on the homepage, put in your email and a password. And then you're a member. You can communicate on our chat board, uh, get alerts with every time content comes out. We're really excited to launch this. Uh, we want to, you know, be a go-to on analysis for the Florida Gators. And we're really hoping you guys check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Good work there. And, uh, you know, hopefully Gator Nation uh, accepts all the good content that will be coming from Zach and the, and the guys there over at Gator Maven and uh, excited to have you on board to, t- to talk Gators. And uh, I'm sure all the social media uh, will, will be involved there uh, together. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I live in the Twitter world, so it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it's pretty important to, to, to what I do. And of course uh, it's uh, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun at times. Oh, so. yeah. Like you said, that Cox thing happens and he blows up against Georgia by chance. That's going to be the greatest day in Gator Twitter for a long time. <laughs> yeah, probably since last year's FSU games. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, that's just a given. But <laughs> yeah. All right, Zach, you, uh, glad you are here on Gators Breakdown. You can follow him on Twitter at Zach underscore, underscore Goodall. Uh, Zach, anything else, man, before you want to go? Just really appreciate you having me on. Uh, hope to come back on here soon. Love podcasting. I haven't done it in a bit, so I'm excited to be starting to do it again. Anytime, man. Anytime. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Uh, be on the lookout for more of our opponent previews coming out uh, there. We'll be taking a look at the uh, SEC opponents uh, in, the, in the next week or so uh, here on Gators Breakdown. So be, a, be on the lookout uh, for those podcasts with Will Miles and I. Uh, that'll do it for this episode. Guys and girls out there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.